Here we go. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. So what's your daily driver? Or I guess maybe a better question is, do you drive every day? And then follow-up question, what is it that you drive? Okay, so I'm very lucky I have, I have two cars. Uh, and uh, one of them is a, a supercharged classic Volkswagen Beetle. And the other one is a sort of like a one-ton truck. It's a Toyota Hilux. So I drive the Toyota every day. And then for fun, I drive the Volkswagen. I don't think anyone in America know, knows what a Toyota Hilux is. Okay, so I believe you get you get the Toyota Tacoma, which I think is the smaller truck, right? Yeah, it's the yeah the smaller one. Then the, the Tundra is the bigger one. Right. So imagine it's just a little bit smaller than the Tacoma, and it has a two and a half liter diesel engine in it. It's got pretty much all the features you'd, you'd normally want with it four wheel drive and stuff and it it has a one-ton towing capacity wow uh, so that that's that's just it that is pretty impressive Be- i mean it, it i'm looking at pictures of it we'll have to include something in the in the show notes. yeah it's, it's a it's a 2004 it's a 2004 invincible edition <laughs> perfect it looks yeah. uh it looks a lot like uh you know for the listener it looks like the new um like the new Ford Ranger or like the new Chevy, um, oh, I'm blowing it. The small, because Chevy just recently came out with a more compact pickup oh, truck right. that, that uh, greatly resembles this Toyota Hilux. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's so true. Like I see a lot of the, the older Ford Rangers and they, they look just like mine. So what, uh, what do you drive most regularly? Like most regularly, I, I, I drive the truck, for sure. And um, how's it do? Does it do better on gas than, on the, uh, than, the, than your supercharged Beetle? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, it does a lot better on, on, uh, on gas. And, of course, the fuel tank on it is, like, literally twice the size, too, so... Any sort of long distance journeys is, is not a problem, but you know the, the Volkswagen I have is is not really a street car anymore. It, it shares more, uh, you know, breed with a race car now. Uh, so it's nice. it's really yeah, it's really just for going fa- uh, going fast and uh, embarrassing people on the streets. Um, that's the only reason I drive that thing around. So so you do the the sleeper thing where you pull up next to somebody and they're like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, I got this Beetle, and then oh nice. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it'll do a wheelie on my driveway. The thing has like four <laughs> times the standard power. It's oh, ridiculous. Man. It's the fastest thing I've ever driven. It's probably like top 10 fastest in the UK. So. But both, I mean, I guess both of those would probably do pretty well on, on gas. Like what's your, uh, what's your mileage or uh, kilometerage? <laughs> oh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because since, since I've, you know, built the, the racing engine it's not as good on mileage as it would be standard. So I think standard for 1970 would be probably, I don't know, probably in a great ideal condition, maybe 30, 32 miles per gallon on the highway. And then something like 
20 or 18 on the city. I think I get about, I think I get about 18 on the highway now with the supercharged engine. Um, just because it's really set up just to go like super fast and I have not tuned it at all for fuel economy. <laughs> it's not my major concern. Um, but the truck, I think the truck, it gets uh, some something like, I think, 30 on the highway or something. Nothing too crazy because it's quite big and on aerodynamic. So. The, uh, according to Fueli.com, your 70 Volkswagen Beetle it looks like the average is about 24. Right, right. And yeah, so at 18, you're definitely on the low end. I have, I also have two vehicles, but one of them belongs to, I mean, technically they both belong to me, but one of them is my wife's. And it is also a Toyota, but it's the, uh, like the very minivan appearing toyota highlander oh yeah and i think they told us at the dealership that it was going to be like there it was going to get like 38 miles to the gallon on the highway and then we took i think it was the same year that we got it we took a road trip to portland which is about 300 miles away and i don't think we did better than 28 the whole way which was wow, kind of sucks. kind of disappointing yeah and i you know i hate to say it i'm not really much of a fan of that car it it does the thing i mean my my other vehicle like my own vehicle my daily driver is a 2013 Dodge Ram and uh it's got a it's got a hammy and uh (laughs) it gets about uh four gallons to the mile. (laughs) Yes. Uh yeah, so what is it the six liter or is it the five yeah the three five point seven so yeah five point seven basically six liter. Yeah, it's a monster. It it's it it is really fun to drive and it's really fast (laughs) and it's got (laughs) aftermarket cold air intake and exhaust and Oh, wicked. It's dude, it's badass. I love it. And I spent all uh all weekend um buffing all of the wax off of it and um then because so here's the story. We went camping a couple of weekends ago and uh we brought a canoe and um you know it's 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 a 10-year-old truck. So I try not to love it that much um but we were getting ready to load up a canoe and i told my wife just lean it up against the side of the of the bed and all because you know i'm up in there loading all of the the camping gear back in as we're getting ready to leave and i tell my wife lean the canoe up against the side of the truck and i'll i'll pull it in when i'm ready so as i'm moving around in the back of the truck and loading stuff in the canoe actually slides across my paint job and and (sighs) falls on the ground and left some nice scratches in the paint. So um, after washing it, I got out the scratch, like the, um, I don't even really know how you'd describe it. It's not like a wax or a polish, but it's like a buffing compound 
yeah, that's okay, supposed yeah. to like hide the the surface scratches. So I did it in the one spot where all of the scratches were, and then I looked and I was like, well, I can I can see. I can see right where I did that. And I don't know if you're supposed to like wash the truck again after you use the 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 buffing compound on it and that gets rid of it. So I ended up doing the whole truck and um cleaning out the inside. I I spent the whole weekend loving my truck that gets uh you know I I think realistically it's probably about 12 miles to the gallon unless i drive Lovely. like a like yeah. a granny and then i can do better uh but i my commute is only four minutes f- four oh. four minutes to, from home to to work so yeah, sure. it, it it doesn't affect me that much but now is joe it, uh, biden oh go ahead no i'm just i'm gonna ask you is, is it gas or is it or is it diesel yeah it's gas Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, they're nice. both gas. And my Toyota actually does this thing where uh, you stop at an intersection or you're stopped in traffic for whatever reason. If you push a little harder on the gas pedal or on the, on the brake pedal, the engine will actually shut itself off. Oh, it's got start stop. And then you take your foot off with you when you take your foot off the brake, the engine fires right back up. You don't have to put it in park or anything like that. And right. that sounds really great. I find it terribly annoying. Yeah, me too. Uh, my dad's Audi's just like that. It fucking annoys the shit out of me. Because I'm not, you know, I I drive I drive for a living. I have a heavy foot. I drive fast. I stop fast. It's probably good <laughs> that my commute is so short. As I'm, I'm doing less damage to my vehicles. <laughs> you, you love my Volkswagen. I wish I could take you for a drive in it for real. <laughs> oh yeah, I love fast cars <laughs> very much. But I'm looking at electric vehicles now because okay. because Joe Biden has recently just canceled more. He's canceled more oil and gas leases in Alaska leases that were issued under Trump. And we have this uh, article from Reuters back on September 6th, U.S. to cancel Alaska oil gas leases issued under Trump. The U.S. Interior Department on Wednesday said it would cancel oil and gas leases in a federal wildlife refuge that were bought by an Alaska state development agency in the final days of former President Donald Trump's term. President Joe Biden, a Democrat, has pledged to protect the 19.6 million acre Arctic National Wildlife Refuge for polar bears and caribou. Quote, as the climate crisis warms the Arctic more than twice as fast as the rest of the world, we have a responsibility to protect this treasured region. region, Well, boy, I'm doing good. (laughs) For all ages, (laughs) he said in the statement. So I don't know what this is going to do to fuel prices. It's been since uh since the last dump of our strategic petroleum reserves into the civilian market back uh it was last year everyone said that he uh that Biden blew out all of our strategic petroleum to keep gas prices artificially low so that he and his democrats could win their elections in 2022 well now the gas has climbed back up another dollar or more recently. And Joe Biden is canceling 
gas and oil leases. And who knows what that's going to do to the price of fuel. I imagine it's going, I mean, it's going to go up. But how high is it going to go up? And this was the question I posed to my wife. How high do gas prices have to get for us to start looking at electric vehicles? Now, how far do you have to drive when you have to drive? Uh, I think sort of my maximum commute is probably going to be 30 minutes. You know, if I'm going to London, it's like 20, 30 minutes to get to the train station, then I'm going on the train. Uh, or if I'm going to like a client's place, uh, the furthest I'd probably go would be like 45 minutes or something like that. So that's relevant. That's, that's something, I mean, you, uh, you definitely have to budget your fuel or, or, or not. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what your, your income level is in, in this house. There's not a lot of budgeting for fuel. Uh, yet and that was kind of the crux of the conversation when do we need to look at other options are you are you considering an electric vehicle fuck no it does not make sense for me financially to do that what i would rather yeah i would just rather pay i would just i would rather pay double uh, in fuel that I'm paying right now than buy an electric car. And that's kind of where we ended up because we're rural, you're rural, and yeah. the range, like, basically for us, the bottom line is electric vehicles just aren't very good. Like, you only have like a 300 mile range at best. Yeah. That's, like, that's like the top end. I think I saw like 305 miles, 315 miles for some of these. Yeah, it, that's not that far. Like, it just isn't. And then when you have to stop and charge, it's, I mean, even if you find a high-speed charging station, you have to sit there for an hour. Yeah, well, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, and he's got a... An electric Porsche, one of those new uh, taken Porsches or whatever. Ooh, nice. And he said to uh, do the fast charging, it still costs him 70 pounds to fill up the whole way. And I was like, wait a second. If you were to put 70 quids worth of fuel in a normal Porsche, then that would get you a lot further than the 70 pounds you just spent on electricity. So then I was like, wait a second. What is the whole fucking point? of the electric car thing because it's supposed that's the whole point the point is supposed to be cheaper to run it and sure if you charge yeah. it at home that's fine right that's how it's but, i mean that's what is supposed to appeal to the the consumer oh you don't have to pay for gas anymore that's right exactly so w once you once you i'm so for me i was like well let's say diesel goes up by double you know and it's already expensive it already cost me like a hundred hundred to 110 pounds to fill up you know, the, the truck the whole way, although I only fill up probably every month, right? So I'm not, you know, I'm not doing a whole bunch of driving all the time. Uh, so it's like, okay, so I'm concerned about gas prices going up. So what am I going to do? Spend 30,000 pounds on a car so I can save maybe 50 pounds a month. Right. Yeah. Our, our gas budget is about uh, probably 200 bucks a month. Right. So and if you were to sell your truck or something or sell your car 
and then and then spend an extra 20k or something on finance or wherever you're like is that really worth it 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 just i don't see i don't see financially where it makes sense to get rid of a card that you have that's working perfectly you know if you don't have something then that's a different situation but if you have a car that works perfectly fine how does it make sense to buy an electric car just so you can save on gas that makes no sense to me well and there was so when the gas prices when i mean in 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 2008 under obama i mean i don't think it was actually 2008 you know 2012 or something like that i remember taking pictures of the you know the the signs the big the big price signs outside of the gas stations because it was right. like look look at how crazy the price of fuel is and it was something like you know five bucks or four bucks or something you know but that's literally like four times what the price of gas had been in in previous administrations it's so weird that now we've come we've we've gone through one term of of trump where gas like the average price of gas was like a dollar 89 or maybe maybe it was 289 and we get back to what people are calling essentially a third term of obama with joe biden and it's so it's just so strange now our fuel prices are astronomical again I don't know what the ceiling is going to be, but people kept commenting when they would see these these gas stations replacing their signs and replacing their pumps with these digital displays that could uh, you know accommodate prices up to ninety nine dollars a gallon. Everybody was saying, "Oh, the the cost of fuel is going to go up to ten dollars a gallon, twelve dollars a gallon." Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that were the case, then. That would effectively, I mean, everybody's gas bill would double. That would take me up to probably 400 bucks. I don't know. I need to ask my wife how often she fills up her vehicle because she drives way more than I do. But she also gets probably four times better fuel economy than I do. If yeah, our- I mean, if I look at the, like, the fuel situation right now, I'm not really worried. And we, and we pay unbelievable uh fuel prices here in the uk like crazy fuel prices yeah you pay more than us for sure oh yeah like way more way more um and you know the way i look at it is this it's like okay so why would fuel prices go up and of course they're going up now because they're artificially going up because opec is cutting uh cutting supply and there's other places cutting supply and stuff like that but really what they're doing is 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 they're shitting themselves because China, which is the world's uh, largest oil consumer outside of the U.S., you know their economic prosperity is 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 cratering, and they're not they're not sucking in as much oil as they used to, right? And that is a massive, massive uh, thing. Uh, the whole world in general yeah. is is kind of shutting down. Apart from the U.S., the U.S. is actually doing fantastically. You guys are crushing it. Uh, so, <laughs> honestly, it's the best place. Surprisingly. To be, uh, yeah, surprisingly, you guys, compared to everyone else, you know, your currency is super strong and you produce the most oil, even though Biden is cutting back, the, you guys still produce the most oil out of every country uh, on Earth. And, you know, China doesn't produce basically any oil uh, and they're cutting back their usage heavily, which means that um, as America produces more oil and sells it or use it internally, 
you guys are much more insulated from from price swings compared to us, which you know we have to buy our oil from Norway or from Saudi Arabia and other OPEC related countries. And so it, it doesn't really matter what they do. They can't keep cutting it because eventually they're going to get to a point where, sure, they're selling it at $80, $90 a barrel. But if you're only, if you're only selling like 10 barrels a day, like how, is that, how is that economically viable for them? So in some ways, it's kind of impossible for, the, for gas to go up that much more because there's just not enough demand for it other than, let's say, you know, people driving around. But that's not really that. That's not really where the major demand comes from. If you look at China and how much oil China is not importing anymore because they just don't need it, it's it's a it's a seriously 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 huge amount, and that really determines what the oil price is going to be in the future. They can they can artificially change it all they like, and and Biden, you know, he can do his thing. That's fine. If he wants to, if he wants to cut supply and make gas prices go up, that I mean. That's on him, but I don't know how successful he's going to be at the next election. And, you know, he's kind of hypocritical in the same way, because in this same article on Reuters, right, uh, the government approved a seven billion Conoco Phillips drilling project in Alaska. Right. So, you know, on the one hand, Biden is going, we need to protect the environment. But on the other hand, he realizes he needs to produce that oil. Otherwise, you know, fuel prices will go up. And if they go up, people see that in their day to day. And Biden won't be very popular when it comes to next year when he faces off against uh, the big man in orange. Well, and and it's interesting. There's um, the you know the the budget, the federal budget is coming up, and and you know oh they're gonna they're gonna shut down the government. They're gonna shut down the government. Oh, good, shut the damn government down for Christ's sake. Yeah, literally, hurry. Hurry and shut it off. Like yeah, we can't take much more. <laughs> yeah, for real. Let's just skip. Let's just skip straight to there, man. For real. So, but it's one of those things. Like I, I think um, while I was looking for this story on on the the Alaska leases, uh, I was seeing stories that he had uh, from last year that he had approved uh, oil leases in in the Gulf of Mexico, and I thought mm, that's strange. Like. The left hates offshore drilling, right? And uh, whenever I think of offshore drilling, I'm I'm reminded of this uh, that movie. Um, oh, what was it called? Why can't I think of it? Uh, it was about the the big oil spill in the Gulf. Uh, oh yeah, the BP oil spill, right? Something Horizon. Oh, the Deepwater deep, Horizon. Deep, yes, that's it. Boom, nailed it. High five. Um. <laughs> and and but what nauseates me is is that whole that whole crisis remember john malkovich's character in in the movie yes yes mark Wahlberg saving the day that's how it happened in real life too mark Wahlberg was there yeah <laughs> he parachuted in that's right he was there and uh john i got malkovich this boy being an asshole <laughs> 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 well, but John Malkovich, he was the oil executive, right? You know, yeah, he was BP. he was yeah. the boots on the ground guy for BP, and he was going, "It's fine, it's fine, keep going, no problem, keep going, keep 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 cranking it out there." And uh, and that's ultimately, you know, because they didn't shut down. I mean, it's almost like a a, a Chernobyl kind of situation. Like, no, we can't. Oh, for sure, we can't stop because we got to make those we got to make those profits. We got to hit those quotas and then terrible explosions happen and people die and 
the world is changed forever. Like, remember, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it was like in, in the UK, but that Gulf oil spill dominated the news cycle for months, months oh, and months. Same, it was the same here. We were following it very close and people donated hair. Like people were like cutting their hair and like donating it in the UK and sending it over to the US because someone figured out that hair soaks up oil really well or something. Oh God, yeah, I think I, I think I remember hearing about that. Yeah, but Joe Biden approved these oil leases in the Gulf to presumably sway the opinions of people like Joe Manchin, who was very uh, independent. Which, which I appreciated. It, it's and 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 he. Right. You, so so if you look at Joe Manchin and where he gets his money, a lot of it is uh, from big oil, right. and that was one thing that he was pushing for. Um, for his what he claimed were you know his constituents and the American people, and really it was his big money donors. More oil leases, less restrictions on on oil and gas production. So it's curious now, looking back on Biden's behavior during the last budget negotiation, he was approving oil leases. Now he's just gone through Alaska and canceled a bunch of oil leases on 9-11, no less. Oh, of course, because it had to be, right? Yeah, I don't, I I mean, what's... Yeah, I I think this is a... I think this is a reflection, really. If, if you look at this, to me, it seems like more of a reflection of the reality of, of, of the net zero movement in politics, because you have two opposing sides of this, which is you have the, the one side which politicians have to be shown to care about the net zero thing and care about the environment and all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, they are faced with the reality that if they make cutbacks in these certain areas, then it will affect their constituents in a, in a great way. And so what I think they've done here is they've positioned his policymaking in a way which uh, sort of solves both problems at the same time. So Biden is approving uh, oil and gas in a way uh, that, you know, allows that industry to grow in some way to keep gas prices low. Because if you keep gas prices low, people don't complain. And if people don't complain, then they vote for you again, right? Yeah. And then uh, he needs to be shown, oh, to the UN, because I'm this, you know, America is all about the environment and this, that, and the other. So they have specifically chosen uh, this uh, place in Alaska, which happens to be on some national wildlife, you know, refuge or something. And which say, doesn't no, really mean anything. Like they right, just like, said, we declare yeah, like, this to be a national wildlife preserve. Now we're going right. to cancel all your oil leases. Yeah, like ha- half of fucking North America's national fucking wildlife reserve. So, you know, so, but I think that's essentially what they're trying to do. They're trying to navigate politically how they, how they seem to care about the environment, okay? Because, l- let's, be, let's be honest, okay? The only reason politicians give a shit about the environment is because it just happens to be something that people give a shit about right now. If you go back in time, I guarantee you Joe Biden probably didn't give a flying fuck about the environment, just like a lot of our politicians didn't care about the environment before, like, 20 years ago. And now, suddenly, it's the cool new toy, and people, you know, a lot of people on the left seem to care about it. Now it's a real fucking big deal, and they have to be shown to, to give a shit about it. So this is their way of saying, we give a shit about the environment, 
but at the same time, uh, we want to keep the gas prices low because uh, otherwise people won't vote for us again. It's the biggest hypocrisy, I think. And that's, I think uh, the problem with a lot of politics today is, is that they would rather sort of like lie to you and appease to you. Because I, I don't think Joe Biden gives a crap about the environment. I, I really, I really don't. The guy's super old. He probably he doesn't know fuck all about the environment, uh, and he's just been set, he's just been told, hey, look, this could work out really well. We'll get our oil and gas licenses in a place that no one gives a fuck about. All right, Gulf of Mexico. Right. You know, right. There's no cute deers. There's no cute like animals and monkeys or something that people like give a shit about. But up in Alaska, where there's caribou and there's like really cool stuff, and oh, there's this big nature reserve or something that we can make up there. People gave a shit about that, and we'll say no. We won't go. We we won't go over there and do oil because that makes us look good. So this is more of a PR thing. You should think about this and think PR. Think uh, this is what uh, people want. This is what they want you to think about the Democrats. That they give a shit about the environment, but really all it is is they're just virtue signaling about the environment. And on the other hand, they're approving oil and gas licenses because they literally have to. If they don't do it, then they fuck the country up for a long time and no one will vote for them again because oil will be too expensive. Well, I want to agree with I, I should say I I generally agree with you, uh, except for the fact that it's that this story wasn't really widely reported. I mean, you you found it on Reuters, but it's. Seven days old, yeah. and I just heard about it yesterday. So right. it really wasn't getting. I mean, I, I I think you're right. I think. Well, I mean, I don't really think that Joe Biden is making any decisions for himself. They're just saying this is a real good idea, Joe. We need to do this. Yeah, this seems like a PR department said we should do this, and he says, "Okay, fine. You know, whatever. If I do this, yeah. can I go back to sleep?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you can absolutely." So he's like, "Okay, whatever, whatever I gotta do to get back to bed. That's that's what I'll do." And uh, but I I mean, how how I, I think what matters the most to the voter right now, especially with everything being as expensive as it is, the price of fuel, because I think. Even if it's 20% on both ends of the political spectrum, if 20% of the left is extreme left and 20% of the right is extreme right, that still leaves 60% of the electorate that is moderate and that just cares about normal things like how much their food and energy costs. And it's probably more like, 15% on each side or, or even lower, leaving 70% of the electric that care about the price of their gas and the price of their bread. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I, I think yeah, I mean, uh, oil and, and, and gas affects so much, right? You know, if it goes up, it hits everything because it's logistics and it's, you know, energy for electricity and all that sort of stuff. So it does affect things quite, quite significantly in, in both in industry and in, and in regular life. Because everybody um, so needs gas and diesel for their, their that personal vehicles and their work vehicles. And yeah, and that's right. And that's why it's such a political conundrum for people right now, because, you know, when, you know, pre pandemic, right. When everyone was making money and things were like good to go and interest rates were 1% and, everything's good it, it it didn't really matter if 
you know, the government sacrifices some economic thing around here to cut back on oil, some oil and stuff. But as soon as we get into a position we're in now in 2023, where many countries, many um, cultures, social structures and stuff are, are, are becoming uh, lesser in terms of economic value, right? Like our country today just reported that we have shrunk by 0.5%, right? Oof. Suddenly that starts to realign regular people's uh, priorities, okay? Suddenly they don't give a shit about like the environment or putting solar panels on their house. They just want to, you know, cut back as much as they can. And now they, now they start to think, you know, I don't really give a shit about the North Sea and the whales and stuff. I just want cheap <laughs> gas in my car. Well, yeah, because it's, it's hard. You, you can't afford to buy, you, you can't afford to invest in solar panels for your home if you have to pay $7 a gallon for gas. Exactly, right? It's, it's, it's very difficult to have those conversations. So I think politically, it's becoming very, very difficult for some of these parties to really sell these ideas to the public anymore, because we're not in an economic position to do so, um, compared, compared to saying, hey, look, instead of doing this big green program, which would cost 10 billion pounds or something, we'll, we'll go and spend it on like revamping schools or something, or we'll go and spend it on issuing new gas licenses or we'll go spend it on building a nuclear power station or something rather than going we're going to spend a billion dollars to revamp a national park or something like that you know th these are the these are the decisions that are having to be made in the future and so i think this whole net zero thing the politicians are pushing it because they, they really want it right and a lot of them have been there for a long time and a lot of them, this is their baby, right? They're the ones that came up with it, Boris Johnson and a lot of people at the Paris Accords and all that sort of thing. They, they, you know, they don't want their own thing to fail. Uh, so they're going to keep pushing it. But to what degree they will have success with it, I'm not sure because I look around in the general public and I can tell you right now in the UK, many people would, would, would you know, not openly, right? No one says, I want to like put an offshore drilling rig in the sea and like, cause massive damage to the local envir environment uh, just so I can have cheaper gas. But that's not what you think about. You're like, I want cheaper gas and I want it now. And I don't want to have to think about, you know, me being a fucking bad person where apparently I'm, I'm the problem, right? I don't, you know, and that's not, that's not how people think. All they're thinking about is like, how do I put food on the table? How do I save costs right now? And that realigns, uh, you know, priorities for people. Yeah, I think... That this would be, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be such an issue if we had, be, because all of this stuff is driven by money, right? Even, even the yeah. actions of the politicians, it's all, it's all driven by yeah. money. And, and, and the, the voter says, I want to vote for the guy that puts more money in my pocket. And right now that's Donald Trump because right. everybody is poorer in the United States Exactly under right. under Joe Biden because they have to spend two or three times more on fuel than they were paying three years ago. Yeah, but also sure. he... our uh, our options are shit. Like all like dude on on a, a completely primal level, electric cars are ugly. M like m most of the electric cars, like anything within my price range, is ugly. Yeah. It, I mean, it strikes me more of like a first gen product. Like, you know how like the first iPhone was pretty good, but not like amazing. 
And, you know, it took until maybe like the iPhone 3GS or something or the iPhone 4 to become like, holy shit, like you can run your whole life off this thing. You know, that's how I feel about electric cars right now. It feels like it feels like we're in the first stage of like a beta product. And it, we just have to wait as a society for them to like innovate and make it better. And, you know, we'll get features and stuff that are cheaper along the line. And maybe in five or 10 years time, there'll be something that, you know, is a much better deal than what we're getting today. Because from what I see, it's a product that is too expensive. Um, the range is not as good. And they make up for these things with like gimmicks and features and whatever, like indoor, you know, in like technology stuff and whatever, just to entice you. Because if you compare it to like a normal car, uh, you know, there is no, there's no parity there. Um, so I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a beta product and I don't think people should buy them until, until later on when, when this, you know, when, you know, batteries get better or motors get better or something like that. Right. Well, there's, this is where the, the conversation gets kind of interesting because there's the conspiracy of 15 minute cities or, or satellite cities. Have you heard of this? Uh, satellite cities? I, I, I've, heard so, but I've heard something about it, but go, go on. So the way I understand it is there's this effort by, you know, the world's leaders, not necessarily politicians, just basic, basically anyone with billions of dollars that, that wants to throw it around and affect policy. They think it would be a good idea to have everyone live within 15 minutes of everything. And that that's how cities should be designed in the future. So if you're really making a push for 15-minute cities, where everything you have is contained in, you know, what, a, a three-mile radius, then you wouldn't yeah. really need to develop electric cars that have great range. No, it's true. I know, I know about this because we, we had a big one over in Oxford that they want to they do here, the 15-minute cities and everything, and they were putting up you know, bollards and stuff on, on certain roads. And to some degree, I understand, I understand what's, what's going on, okay? Because it's just the way they've done it. It's not what they've done or what they're trying to do because you know, I look at some European cities compared to Canadian American ones because I've been to many, many places. I'm very lucky. And going somewhere in Europe where you're in the hotel and you can go anywhere you like and you don't have to, you can use public transportation and you don't have to get in your car and you don't have to drive and you don't have to pay for gas. That is like really good for the urban environment. That is awesome. Not having to drive somewhere, not having to do something, but um, the, way, the way they do it is they're like, okay, we have made a city plan and we've made it poorly so that it only works for cars. And what we're going to do is we're going to do like basically a crash course and essentially piss everyone off all at once to make this 15-minute city thing rather than over time implement things that doesn't make it harder to drive but makes it easier to do the walking and the public transport and that kind of thing. So that's the, that's the idea because it really, as, as a city planner or as a mayor or a, a councillor, your, your real priority should be how do I increase the convenience for my constituent and from the way they're trying to do it right now they are sacrificing the immediate con convenience of using a car for the sort of uh 
maybe implied convenience of public transport, even though it's not there yet. So it doesn't make sense in the current model. You'd be better off saying, okay, um, in LA or something, right? Let's build a, a whole underground train network that like eliminates a bunch of traffic. And that's not going to affect people that want to drive cars. They still can. But many people will, you know, many people will choose not to do that because it will be easier to, to, to ride the tube or something. And that's the same in London. People don't drive in London, not because they don't, not because they can't, you can, um, but because it's like way fucking nicer to, to go on the tube. It's way quicker and everything. So that's the way it should be. But the, 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 what they're trying to do here in the UK is, is just shit because they piss everyone off and it's not even better. It's not even more convenient. No, and, and there, well, there's no infrastructure for it. And, and yeah, exactly. We're, we're all getting, see, we're, we're all being incentivized. Yeah. With the, the price of, of fuel. Okay. Well, we all, we got to get off these, this, the, the narrative is we got to get off these fuel burning vehicles. And, uh, so we're going to ban, uh, you know, f uh, internal combustion engines by, you know, 2030 or 2025. And we're so we're all just going to be forced to go into debt, essentially, to get in an electric car that's not very good and ultimately become more dependent on our power grid, which is just shit stacked on shit. Yeah, for real. Like there yeah. was last last summer, I think it was, they said, uh, you can't like please only charge your electric vehicle at night because the grid can't handle it. But also yeah. go buy it. Everybody go buy an electric car and stop driving your, your gas guzzler. That's, that's terrible for the environment. None of this would be a problem for, I mean, for me, if the technology was better, but since everything is driven by money and the yeah. richest people in the world still rely on oil, to to maximize their profits this is why i mean man how how long have we been on this earth a and long we, time bro. and we a haven't right and we haven't mastered the power of the sun and until yeah. like just now we're finally going oh all right let's uh maybe we can do something with these i mean because everything is about heat right like even like like the earliest tech, you know the 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 steam the steam engine. You burn the wood, it boils the water, it makes the steam, that creates the pressure that you need to you know move the pistons and and you know get the boat moving down the down the river. Yeah, it's it's still it's I mean you're you're burning wood to make the heat, but I mean you you feel the heat from the sun and it, it it just seems to me that there's an ulterior motive i mean this is my this is my conspiracy brain it's uh it's, it's definitely it's, it's definitely pretty fucked up i mean i don't really understand what the strategy is uh other than just let's just try and give as much money to electric car makers as possible which i like you know if you, i like that i do like i mean yeah. i i don't i i'm upset that it's taxpayer money that we have to you know, at least the story goes, we can't convince people to move away from 
their dependence on oil. So we have to ban internal combustion engines and send billions of dollars to car manufacturers to get them to just develop some electric vehicles. And, and now there's a lot to choose from, but it's still, it's, it's, it's the batteries. Like, why aren't we really, it's, yeah. it's just so half-hearted. Like that's, that's yeah. what bugs <laughs> me and makes me think that they're up to something. They yeah, want, they the- want to, tri- they're trying to trick us into, into what, into being so dependent on the grid that we have to all move into 15 minute cities where we can be closely monitored and, and, you know, controlled because that's for sure. It's, uh, it's, it's one of these situations which, you know, just, just, it just, it's just shit, you know, that the end, you know, result for the consumer, right. Is, is just shit. Um, and you're not really saving the environment. You know, if you really wanted to save the environment, the best thing you could do is build your rail infrastructure across the US and build it a lot bigger uh, and just get like 16 wheelers off the road. You know, don't don't ban 16 wheelers. But, you know, for a supplier that says, OK, I want to send something from New York to L.A., you know, usually you'd have to like either send it on on, you know, you, you can do a train, but there's not that much capacity compared to, to road, you know, but taking that one truck off the road is a significant, you know, carbon footprint removed. Right. And you're not and, and you're not saying I'm going to ban trucks. All you're doing is you're building a massive, great big fucking rail network where you can take thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of trucks off the road and make it into cheaper transport, which produce less carbon. And that's a fucking really easy way to get rid of all that bullshit. And for sure, the people that lose out here are probably truck drivers. That's the only people that are going to lose out and people that build trucks. But if you want to incentivize people to like save money because it's literally cheaper and also uh, produce less carbon, then rail, like long distance rail is a really fucking great way to do that. Um, aren't there, to like, yeah. aren't, aren't there electric buses in, in Europe that can do like 800 miles or something la- like that on a charge? Oh yeah. We have hybrid buses here. We have hybrid. They're not electric, but they are hybrid. But I think there's electric ones in, in Europe somewhere. Yes. And some of them are on like cables, like trams. And this is one, this is the a thing that's, that's confused me over the last, I mean, well, pretty much since I, I read the story about the, the electric bus that could drive 800 miles. And why, why don't we, why don't we invest in that tech? Like you could do, and, and see, this is why I'm skeptical about this, this narrative that we, we all, because it was one of the things that got rolled out during the pandemic. One of the, the parts of the narrative, like, Oh, we locked down and, and the, the air pollution is so much better. You guys, cause we're not driving and we're not like, well, yeah, I mean, that's because we, we shut the world down. If we shut the world down. There's, there's going to be a lot less car exhaust. Yeah, sure. In the, in what's the, the air. What's the solution to that? Is the solution to that electric cars or is that, or is the solution to that like mass transport? Like I, met, I bet many, many people in many big cities in America would much rather, uh, you know, ride on a really good, efficient public transport than get in their car and sit in traffic all day. Like you can't tell me people wouldn't do that out of their own volition. They're not banned from driving, but they just don't want to sit in fucking traffic. They'd rather just go on the underground and go to where they need to go. 
Well, what are some of the downsides to public transit? For me, it was always, uh, you know, to, to get, to get across town, I have to hop on, I have to take three different buses and it takes me three times as long to get where I'm going than it would if I, uh, you know, drove my car or, or even, even rode a bike. And then in the, in the big blue cities, and this isn't, I mean, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, counter your point on, on public transportation. No, for sure. But in, in blue cities, uh, I mean, people don't even want to go outside during the daytime in some places. Yeah. Much less on public transit. So it's, it's become like public transportation has this stigma. Uh, on top of just sort of not being very efficient and being more of like, it's here if you really need it. Like it's here if you crash your car and you have to get to work the next day. That's the state of it in America. Is it a little bit better in the UK? Uh, So in the UK, it's, it's a lot better. Um, Our, you know, Europe's relationship with mass transport is much better than North America. You know, Canada is exactly the same. It is not, um, in its current state, and you know, and same same in, in America, really, you know, using mass uh, transit is not really a, an effective option for people day to day. You know, getting three buses to go to work is not a solution. Um, you know, in the UK, we have more like a hub and spoke system um, around London. So you have your major train lines that go up and down the country and then down to London. And then London has a huge underground network. You know, it's, it's, it's very old, you know, we've spent a, a, a lot of money on it and it, it's quite old. So, you know, oh, if yeah, someone wants to famous. recreate that, you know, yeah. So it's like, it, it's like, don't, don't expect to get to, to that sort of level, you know, quickly, it takes a little time, but it's about, it's about having something that is actually worth using over using your car. Right. You know, where I live right now, it is not, it is not actually possible for me to use the bus network around me. It's terrible. Okay, so I must drive. But I drive to my local you know, train station that then is much, much more effective for me to get down to London. If I had to drive to London and park up somewhere, it takes me two hours to get to London. I've got to park. Then I've got to try and get, get you know, near to and pay for parking. Then I've got to go and find you know, just a, another public transport to get into town near the office. Instead of me going 20 minutes to my local uh, train station, riding 40, 50 minutes on the train down to London, and then once I'm in London, I can go anywhere, right? And once you're in London, it's different. If you want to drive, you know, across London, it would take you probably, you know, an hour and a half, probably two hours to get, to get like, if you drove like straight through the middle, like past the Queen's house and all that sort of shit. But on the <laughs> underground, you, you, you go, you go on the underground in 20 minutes, you're on the other side of the, on the other side of London, and it costs you like, three or four pounds or something very cheap very very cheap and so that's why london is just so good because the downsides of it is you know it gets busy as you might imagine there's 19 million people in london and so if you don't like people then mass transit is not for you and but if you don't like people then you're probably not living in london anyways um and also some of the downsides is you know things break and so you have to deal with you know mass transit not being looked after very well and so those are the major problems is you're trading, you are trading some independent ability to get around. Um, but at the same time, like it is such an amazing time save and so convenient compared to like getting in my truck and driving around London. Honestly, that would fucking scare the shit out of me 
that place is so difficult to drive in um just because it's just so big so sprawly and it takes and there's so much traffic the only real people that drive around are taxis and buses and stuff like that and so that is that is you know public transport done well that's public transport done fantastically up in northampton where i live it's done fucking horribly okay so everyone drives around and it sucks you know i don't <laughs> To catch the bus into town from my house, it's like 40 minutes. But if I drive, it's 10 minutes. That's bullshit. And that's what you're getting at, right? In the, in the US, it's the same. It's like, if you want to drive down to your local Walmart, no fucking problem. But if you got to catch the bus there, fucking good luck. Yeah. Uh, and, that's, and that's the big difference, right? But say, you know, if you actually create something that's worth using, if you create a bus network that goes to the train hubs, then you create the train hubs that go to all the major hubs around like major cities and stuff like that, then it starts to become something, oh, okay. This is actually something worth using. I can drive my truck to the outskirts of a city, get on the underground, and just shoot straight into the city in like 10 minutes for like basically no money. And then I'm not having to sit in traffic in the city and then park somewhere, be a fucking nightmare. So that's the whole idea with it. Because as you get bigger cities, right? The problem is, is that, you know, North America just number one, you guys have a bad relationship with mass transport. And so no one really wants it because all they know is what already exists right you guys don't have anything you know if you had something like the london underground you guys would be like fuck yeah let's do this everywhere because it's so much better well yeah so it's only, yeah it's the convenience thing yeah which is sure. what you said like when it's when it's convenient when it's done right it's excellent yeah yeah my, exactly. my wife and i wanted to go to uh beer fest in portland <coughs> um where you know that's where a lot i mean my my family doesn't live there I mean, I, I have a little bit of family that still lives there, but most people have moved away. Uh, but at this time, I still had a lot of family and friends in the area. So we thought we're going we're gonna to go down there to visit. And it just happened that uh, uh, I think they call it Brewfest was, was happening in, uh, in, in downtown Portland. So we, uh, we rented a, a hotel room about maybe 10 miles from from downtown but it was right on the train line like a, a a few blocks walk from our hotel room to where we could catch the the train the the light rail they call it uh right. well well actually the the engineers call it right light rail the the you know city officials call it max I'm gonna take max <laughs> Or, or the oh max or something. And there's a few, it's, it's really not that impressive. It's a line that runs from, uh, sort of the deep Eastern suburbs to the deep Western suburbs. And, uh, with, with a short line that will take you to the airport. And, uh, they, they may have done a little more expansion now, but that is, uh, you know, my, my experience Walking to the train station, hopping on the train, shoots me downtown. We're at Brewfest all day, you know, five or six hours. We're thoroughly sauced by the time it's all it's all right. over. <laughs> yeah. And just hop back on the train, back back to the hotel room, walk, you know, we're or back to the train station, walk five minutes, we're at the hotel room. We didn't put anybody in danger. We had a great time. Unfortunately, I also have the story where it, it took me 
90 minutes. It was a 90 minute commute, you know, across three buses to, you know, what would be to get to work for what would be a, you know, 10, 15 minute car drive. Right. There's no incentive for people to get behind that. But there's also no call like it's it's this mandate that says you have to buy an electric vehicle now and we're just going to keep cranking gas prices until you buy an electric vehicle. And then we're just going to outright ban gas vehicles because you won't just do the right thing and buy this ugly, not very efficient electric vehicle. That's like you say, it's a beta. Yeah, it's a it's a beta product, but you know that that's the thing that that's what North America has to work out for themselves. It's like, look, you know, you can't just tell people they they can't drive somewhere. You know, you have to give them you have to give them a reason to make their own decision about it. You you can say, hey, look, we understand traffic is really bad. We want to save the environment. Okay, sure. What's the best solution to that? The best solution to that is people hate traffic and and and. So let's give them an option not to drive if they don't want to. And if they don't drive, then they're not driving around and they're not putting, you know, carbon into the atmosphere. You know, my carbon footprint on on the London Underground is like zero compared to, you know, what, what it would be for me to drive my fucking two and a half liter diesel truck around. I mean, it's just a, a completely different world. So you can solve both problems. But if you if you force people to do something, they're not going to do it or they're going to complain. And if you try to do something somewhere which makes no sense, like make some kind of mass transit type deal out in the, you know, in an urban, not in an urban place, but in a rural environment, then that's going to fail in its face too, because there just isn't enough people to, to use it. And that sometimes is the problem with North America because it's just so big and the, the distances can be so large that really it only makes sense to do it in the real urban, you know, centers like, you know, like New York has one and, it makes more sense to do it in the in the really big big cities uh, because you can service a lot of people, so it's it's effective for for the taxpayer. And that's really that's really the, the crux of it in in Europe. You know, we have a lot of big cities. You know, Amsterdam, Berlin, uh, you know, London, Paris, all these big places which millions of people live in, and it's economically and also just convenience wise. Uh, so. Y- y- that's just that's just a it just makes sense it just makes sense for europeans to do that you know i think look america north america is is a is a younger sort of like country than us so it it might just be that it just needs to take a little bit longer rather than trying to force the issue um you know if people are happy paying the prices that they're paying i think it's much better that people are given the option to um, I think it's. I think I would prefer to take a train than I would to buy an electric car. That's all I'll say. I, I'd much rather drive the car that I have that I don't need to sell that it works fine and drive it to the train station and, and then get the tra- get on the train. I think that saves you know that saves me money and also you know it saves the environment, which is which is what pe- some people care about, right? So, I think I would rather see in instead of a bunch of businesses instead of a bunch of businesses all getting a small piece of of government investment into developing electric vehicles yeah i would really like to see government investment in like give it to the department of defense or some kind of maybe a military subcontractor or something or, or i don't know 
Elon Musk, give Elon Musk $8 billion and tell him to make a better battery. Yeah. Instead of saying, okay, everybody, uh, just try to figure it out. Here's, you know, instead of $8 billion going to one place, we're going to give $1 billion to eight different companies and see what they come up with. I mean, maybe yeah, that's effective, but I don't feel like it, it just, it's, I, I keep coming back to the sincerity. Like, are you sincerely willing to engage full tilts in this effort to convert the world away from gas vehicles and into electric vehicles. Well, if you are really sincerely engaged in doing this, then why are you act? Why are you taking these steps? Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, if I was a policymaker, my, my first, my first thing before I make any decision would be, you know, let me canvas the public. Let me, um, let me, let me just find out what people want. Do they find that their drive around is something that, you know, they would rather not do? It, is the effect on the environment something that affects that, that they feel they should, they should, they should partake in? Do they actually want to drive an electric car? Would they be willing to do that? Only when you start to ask these questions, can you start to make a decision on what direction to go in? Because you know, if people don't really give a shit about any of that and they just want to be left alone, then what's the point doing anything at all? But, you know, if you canvas everyone and everyone says, yeah, I fucking hate traffic. And then you go, OK, what how would you feel about about this option? How would you feel about that option? And then you, and then you can start to, to get an idea of like, you know, then you can make a plan. Let's say, OK, say we made the train line this way or say we did an incentive to, uh, you know, to Elon Musk to come up with something that's going to solve our problem. And then you can start to make, make sense of it. Like how many people would this affect on a daily basis? How likely are people to do this, um, you know, without us incentivizing it uh, only for, but if, at the moment it feels like government just goes, well, this seems like a half decent idea. So let's just get a bunch of fucking money uh, that they just find from somewhere and just plow it into whatever they feel like is the right decision. It, 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 that's how it feels in the UK. They don't really make, they just make decisions. They don't actually like Think do any long term. Yeah, they, they don't even, they don't do any like macro sort of view on like, because they made, they made this new uh, rail line. Uh, recently they they're just building it and i think it's a terrible idea and i i love mass transit right i love driving my car and i love mass transit for for the for the both reasons that i have convenience of mass transit to go long distances where it's cheaper and stuff and also i have uh my car because i like my individual autonomy that's that's just the way i, I like some people are different that's fine that's totally fine but this new rail line i don't think solves either problem it's a high speed rail line that goes up and down the country um, and it's costing probably 120 billion pounds, which is a great deal mm. of money. And all it's really going to do is save an extra 20 minutes over the existing train line that's there, um, which is a great deal of money to spend on something that's only going to save maybe 20 minutes between London and Birmingham. And then it's going to go all the way to Scotland. And it, but it's like, OK, but why wouldn't you fly? You know, flying in a plane is actually really, really good for the environment, to be fair. Like, I think it accounts for maybe 3% of our total carbon emissions. And it's so much quicker and it's so much cheaper than go on the, going on the train. Like, if I want to go from London to Scotland, 
that makes so much more sense to go on the plane. I'm there within 30 minutes rather than going, driving my car, paying for parking at the train station and then riding in a train for maybe one or two hours or something. You know, this, this makes no sense. It, it would be much better, I think, if they said, instead of making a passenger line, we're going to create like four more rail lines for freight so that we can take some of the lorries off the M1 that cause all the potholes and cost a bunch of money, you know, because most of the trade, right, comes in through Calais and then some poor guy has to drive it all the way up, right? He has to drive it all the way up. And it makes sense to just have like a big giant freight terminal with like eight lines on it and then just drive the freight because you have one train carriage, right? You have one or two train uh, like motors and you pull like literally like 50 lorries worth, 50 trucks worth of stuff all at once. It makes way more sense, but no. They're going to do the PR thing. They're going to be like, yeah, we're going to bring high-speed rail to the UK. And they haven't thought it through. They're just doing it because Japan has one. And, you know, they want the UK just to have one too. It makes no sense. Well, and this is another thing that gets me back to my, you know, or I should say it solidifies my skepticism. Because I'm just thinking about your, your comments on, on moving freight. Uh, on on trains and i mean of of course you couldn't do it well i mean you could do it in the underground just throw a couple extra freight cars on there you know yeah for and, sure and yeah, yeah. and for anything above ground stack it up a little bit i mean as long as it doesn't have to go under a, a you know an overpass you yeah. know the the sky is literally the limit i mean well there's probably some weight limits and stuff yeah, in, involved I mean, too you, but if you look at like the like the actual like land that it takes to build like a train line it's not that much right you know trains are are not actually that wide so well and maximize you know, maximize the lines that you that you have already like there's i mean as we've discussed for the last hour like there are many many things that we could do to have this global impact or you know exactly, the, the right. this this global climate impact that that we're we're all so sincerely striving after, right? Or not? I mean, like, why? I, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's one of these things where you know I, I don't really have an opinion on on the whole thing because I just I just don't know enough about it. But what I can say is that if your if your goal is to lower the carbon footprint. There are ways to do it that are far, far, far better than what the politicians are currently pr proposing uh, and far better, not even in like a you need to know stuff about it, but far better in the in the very obvious, blatantly obvious things, simple things like nuclear power, you know, rail, the big rail for doing freight up and down the country. These are things that are super easy to think about. And yes, they cost money, but in the long run, they're so much fucking better. You know, that's why, you know, our underground is hundreds of years old because some genius decided to put it in and now you the, london is like one of the biggest cities in the world for economic growth uh because of that right if we still had cars there it wouldn't be the same thing it just wouldn't it wouldn't be the way it is but that's why it gives me a, a lot of annoyance because that means that the decisions that they're making are not based on any real thought pattern all they're based on is just because uh maybe someone they know is a car producer uh, maybe some, maybe they have this, you know, sort of like, uh, evangelical view about themselves and they have come up with the idea that electric cars are the future and they're the solution or something's going on. That's the annoying thing about it for me is that it obviously tells me that there's some ulterior, ulterior thing going on, right? Uh, to make them push this shit as hard as, as hard as possible, because they should know that this is not the best solution to what they're trying to achieve. 
just like wind turbines are not the best solution to the to the thing they're trying to achieve but it's just an it's just a thing and i it just really irritates me uh so whether you care about the environment or not you should care about the reason that they're pushing this particular thing uh and know that it's not the best decision it's not the best way of doing that you know and why are they doing something that arguably isn't going to make any impact other than give a lot of money to a lot of car makers well there's got to be incentive there's got to be incentive coming from somewhere but that's i mean that's kind of the whole yeah. that's kind of the whole problem if you're an auto manufacturer and you get a billion dollars from the government to make an electric car are you going to try to make the best electric car that that you can make or are you going and i've i've said it before on the show are you going to make just something that is good enough to show that the government hey look that that uh, 1 billion dollars that you sent me was well spent we figured out how to make this uh shitty electric vehicle uh with 500 million dollars and we're just going to pocket the other half because why wouldn't we do that yeah i mean if i'm an electric car manufacturer i'm i'm going to make an electric car that's just better than the other person that's making an electric car yeah, I mean, no, the, like you, you have no incentive to do any better because you're not trying, you're not launching a startup. You already have your vehicle manufacturing infrastructure where you make gas vehicles. So now you've just got to figure out, you just got to change over some parts to slam some, I, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the uh, Back to the Future 2 where there's a, a brief, which was my, and I know admittedly it's like, the only Back to the Future that you really want to watch is the first one, because the other two are just real stinkers. But I, <laughs> I liked the second one the most from my, from my young childhood, because they had the hoverboards and the flying cars, right? And I remember there was just a brief moment, one or two minutes, where it, they're, they're running an ad uh, in some context to retrofit your old non-flying vehicle to become now it's a it's a flying vehicle you can turn your classic 57 chevy into a you know oh wow very a, cool a floating you know vehicle of of the future but there's no i mean is is there any infrastructure being developed to retrofit people's cars i mean like that's that hasn't even become part of the conversation but i did find this article from uh the los angeles times which i shared in the uh the show notes channel oh yeah I see in this. our in our discord um i just i i you, you've got to see it because the uh the subject of this article is uh well it looks to be like uh you know I've it's definitely a classic a beetle yeah. Yeah, you know what? In, in, a, in a situation like this, uh, I kind of understand. I don't understand it for the Beatle, okay? Just for one reason, okay? Which is, which is space. Because I, I know a few people that have, that have done this. Um, yeah, I mean, what could the range possibly be? Yeah, oh. the, the range... 70 <laughs> yeah. miles. 70 miles, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, no, it's, it's so true because like, it's, it's a lot of work and it's very expensive. Okay, very expensive to do this. But where it, I think it does work better is in the VW camper vans. Because you have mm. like so much floor space. Because yeah, usually yeah. in an electric car, the whole floor is, is batteries, right? But for the camper, it's really good because, you know, you take the floor out 
you fill the floor with the battery cells and then you put you raise the floor above it and then you it just looks like a regular camper and you've got a camper that has really good range you can take it off grid and, and take it somewhere and charge it up outside a cafe or something and it gets much better mileage than it would you know with just the 1.6 volkswagen engine in it and and that seems you know perfectly uh, reasonable uh, for sure um and I wish there was I wish there was more of an appetite for for retrofitting older vehicles than there is. You know, with this new ULES thing we have now in 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 London, uh, they they're they're much more interested in doing scrappage schemes. So the government will pay you some just set amount of money for your car, and they just go and crush it. Which just seems like it just I don't know. It just seems like such a a shitty thing to do because essentially you're taking you know raw materials out of the earth the energy it took to make that vehicle that vehicle is in perfect working condition apart from the fact that it doesn't meet em- emission standards and you're basically trying to tell me that by crushing that car buying a new one that had to go through all that same thing with building it and pumping out the raw materials and then you're going to try and tell me that that's going to be better for the environment just because you'll save let's say I don't know, 10, 20 liters a month on fuel or something. That's difficult for me to, that, that's very difficult for me to, to, to get behind. And that's, that's why that really annoys me that, you know, we're not spending the time to uh, very simply just say, hey, look, if you have a certain car, we'll give you like, say, a thousand pounds to put a new catalytic converter on it or something that's going to make that thing be better for the environment or something like that, rather than fucking crushing the thing. And someone has to go and spend an extra 15k or something on a new vehicle that then you know gets better emissions or something so they can drive it in the ULES zone. Um, that makes that makes uh, yeah. But uh, the appetite for that is 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 not there. They're more interested in people going out and buying brand new EV vehicles or vehicles that were produced after 2014 uh, for diesels or after 2009 for petrols. So I don't really understand what the deal is with that um well you know where seems, i think it comes yeah. from yeah for sure go for it well follow me let me uh do my condescending little questions asking thing that i like to do <laughs> yeah let's do it man let's do it <laughs> well it's it's really quite simple <laughs> where where are most of the components for all the electric vehicles made china boom <laughs> so where where there could this where there could is. this initiative to ban all of the gas cars and smash slam yeah. everybody into electric vehicles and solar panels possibly be coming from? Hmm. It's a mystery. I think that's what annoyed me so much about Elon Musk cuz I was like, dude, you're supposed to be this guy that like is all about America and everything and he builds like basically all of his Teslas over in China. He's the really champion. Yeah, he's the champion of of free speech and American values. This South African born immigrant, which I mean, it's it's so funny. Like so many people will say, "Oh, Elon Musk is is great. He's he's doing so good. He's doing wonderful things for this country." And then at the same time, say things like, "I, I don't think uh, non American born." Uh, residents of this country should be allowed to be uh, judges in any in any effective capacity. It's like okay, well, what's your your motivation? There is that they're not American, but let's all trust Elon Musk. And I've been scratching my head on Elon Musk for the same, the very same reason. 
being that he's, I mean, he's connected to China. And I, I, well, yeah, of course, right. He has to be one, one thing that I, that I stumbled onto just as I was sort of mulling over this, this quandary is that, I mean, well, well, firstly, China's hurting. Their economy's yeah, not point. doing good. Big and time. if, if Elon Musk decided that he, if, if they put the hurt on Elon Musk and incentivized him to do business elsewhere, it could be very detrimental to China. Oh, big time. Yeah, big time. But one thing that I noticed in uh, my time on Twitter and, and the shadow banning that I've experienced, even right. though my opinions really aren't all that controversial. No, no, for sure. I, it, is, it, it seems that Twitter is very subtly an anti-Trump platform. And I think China is scared shitless by Donald Trump because he's not, he's not establishment. He's not bought and paid for. He's, uh, un, he's unpredictable. Yeah. And he knows how to put the hurt on China and he has done in the past, many things that are detrimental to, to China's economic success. I wouldn't say it's all, you know, that he's completely responsible. But when I'm on Twitter and I'm scrolling, I see very little pro-Trump in my feed. It's very, yeah. it's very pro-DeSantis. And I, and I know that's, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of interesting things have happened in the the Republican Party, and and which candidates they're choosing to support, but the prevalence of pro sort of anybody but Trump makes me think that perhaps Elon and China have agreed that they won't they won't amplify pro Trump content. And China won't mess with Tesla or SpaceX or any any sort of business endeavors that that Elon Musk is pursuing. But that's just my that's just my conspiracy theories. I really yeah, can't I, I, think I don't of really I don't really know. I mean, personally, I hate this like society today like puts certain people up on pedestals and, and certain people don't. And, and it's one of these things where people can't just sit down and just decide in the moment if this person's actions suits them or doesn't. You know, someone like Elon Musk, I feel like there's people that love the guy or people that hate the guy completely. When really, surely your position should be, I support him for doing things that uh, I believe in, and I don't support him in things that I don't believe in. That's really, you know, because you're going to have, you should have your own opinions, right? You should have your own opinions about Trump or about Biden or about Hillary Clinton or about Elon Musk or about, you know, Brad Pitt and whoever, right? You know, if someone does something that you agree with, you should, you should support them. And, and if someone does something that you, you don't agree with, then obviously you're not going to support them. But for some reason in society right now, we, 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 we put someone like Elon Musk way up there, right? We put him up there and we say he, he can't do no wrong uh, for some reason. Or, and then there's people that say 
he should be, you know, gassed in a fucking gas chamber or something <laughs> because he's like, you know, the, the biggest Nazi on planet Earth. And that, that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm like, you know, for me, Elon Musk is someone that I, that, that, uh, I think does some really good things. Uh, you know, SpaceX is cool and I, I like that. And uh, I, I found his buying of Twitter very strange and obviously yeah. a, a grave mistake for him that he couldn't back out of. Uh, but uh, I, do I raise him up on this on this great pedestal? No, I think he I think he d- does some things he's completely out of his depth on. I, I think with Tesla especially, he he is he is kind of bought in all the way on on China and he's kind of stuck there now. Um, so you know, there's obviously going to be some 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 concerns around there. Um, and obviously, he's now moving into AI and other things, which which is cool, but. I think that's, that's why he bought. Yeah. I think that's why he bought Twitter. Well, for the AI, for sure. Yeah, yeah, he did. yeah, he did. Yeah, and yeah, and for sure. I agree. He like, well, I mean, he decided that he was going to buy Twitter, and then he's decided that he's going to change it to X. But we're we still have Twitter dot com like that. I mean, that drives me that drives me crazy. Like, hey, yeah. just go to go to X at Twitter dot com. Uh, wait a minute. What? Like, what? You're just confusing everybody. You're just making things weird. Like how how does he how does he transition Twitter Twitter.com to X without totally screwing everything up? Dude, I mean as a you know, as a website builder and you know coding. Yeah, you're you're the guy to ask, right? Uh changing your domain name on a on a website that big is fucking suicide. Uh, it is really bad, really bad, because what happens to all the links that you had before on Twitter, right? They become broken, and their SEO on Google becomes broken. I doubt he'll ever change it to x.com or anything like that. I think it will stay Twitter forever, just like Facebook is Facebook and not meta.com. Um, I, I, what I would have done in, in Elon Musk's position is I would have made a parent company called X and put Twitter underneath that and kept the branding. Uh, I think that would have been much easier for people to um, get their head around because I think there's a big, I think what's really damaged Twitter has been this transition to X because when people talk about it on the news, they don't know whether to say X. When someone says X, no one understands what that is. Yep. If they've never heard of you know X before. They, they know Twitter, but they might not know X because some people aren't on Twitter, which is an amazing thing to think about. Uh, for a lot of people, they can't believe that some people aren't on Twitter, um, but they know of Twitter. So I think, you know, from a branding perspective, I, I, it just sounds like a fucking nightmare. From a technological perspective, it's impossible. Uh, and yeah, that wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been my decision. I, I would much rather have done what Google did because Google, I mean, all the big tech companies do it. Eventually they make a parent company like Google's parent company is now Alphabet. But they left Google in place with Google.com and Google has its own thing and Google ads stayed the same. It didn't become Alphabet ads and it didn't come, YouTube didn't become Google video or something, right? They kept the branding in place. And so Google is a really great example of a, of a, of a company that, that did that really, really well. And to some degree, Facebook now become Meta. Meta's done the same thing where Meta's the parent company and it's got Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and, uh, and, and the things underneath it. But what do you make Musk, of these? What do you make of these shifts? by these by these big tech companies what is it what is it that they have in china we wechat is that the the big one that that processes all the payments and and does all that stuff yeah that's a big one over there yeah well it's because like you know 
first of all, there's laws in our country that prohibit data from going to different countries and, and being shared. Oh, right, so, right. So there's, there's, there's that. And also the CCP themselves put a ban on a lot of Western social medias. You know, they don't get Facebook. They don't get Twitter. Um, they don't get none of that. So, but, you know, I think that the reason why these tech companies do this is because, you know, they've gone from being a small startup in someone's room and now they are a giant conglomerate, big global business. And it's more of a reflection of their maturity than anything else. Right. So, you know, Coca-Cola is no longer just just one drink. You know, it's many, many, many drinks. It's the Coca-Cola company and there's many drinks, smart water, all that sort of stuff underneath them. And it's the same for the Pepsi company. You know, PepsiCo has lots and lots of different brands, you know, Frito-Lay and everything underneath there. And so it's the same thing. You know, these companies become a certain size that they, they have to rebrand and they have to, they have to change. The, the funny thing about it with Elon Musk is that uh, he, he bought Twitter and that's just one company. So it's not like you can just like make a parent company that then just looks after one company. That's re- I, honestly, it sounds really funny. It would make sense if like Elon Musk owned, you know, under the same umbrella, he owned like Twitter and he owned like maybe something like Telegram and, you know, other te- technology companies. Um, or, or he said, oh, I'm going to make X the parent company of all my other companies, Tesla, SpaceX, and, and Twitter and stuff like that, and then make this. That makes more sense to me. But he's just changed just Twitter to X. And he's just, I don't know. It seems like a really strange decision I, compared yeah, yeah. to everyone else. I understand he likes doing his own thing, but there's a reason why businesses do it in that way. Because if you change the name, people don't understand. That's your brand, right? It'd be like BMW, okay, uh, changing their name to german car company and then still branding all their cars with the bmw badge that's essentially what it looks like to me which is just weird i don't understand it that reminds me of this video that i i saw a few weeks ago it was like a tiktok or something i mean it wasn't on tiktok the uh this guy's got a lamborghini and uh, a damaged little side reflector to get a new one from Lamborghini was like 180 pounds. Yeah, that's a lot. But he was looking at his broken piece, and he could clearly make out the Ford logo. And he, <laughs> after a little bit that's of funny. research, he realized that the same piece that Lamborghini uses on their vehicles, Ford uses on a Focus. And you can buy the same part for your Ford Focus for $3 or s- something like that. Yeah, that's actually so common in the car industry. It's really funny, uh, especially in the Volkswagen Audi group. That's the, you see, look, even them, like they, they're a massive group now, but they still use the same name, Volkswagen Audi group. And Volkswagen Audi group own everything. They own Porsche. They own Lamborghini. They own, you know, obviously, Audi, Bugatti. All these companies, they, they own a bunch of them. And so their parts work independently of each other. And it's, it's actually kind of good. That's why sometimes buying a, you know, in the UK, if you buy like a Volkswagen or an Audi and stuff, it's, the parts are really cheap because they fit, you know, the four-wheel drive system from an Audi Q4 would fit an Audi A7 or it would fit a Volkswagen Touareg or something. So that actually works out really, really well. That's, you know, that's why big companies in, in those spaces tend to do much better than smaller companies is because they have that, you know, economies of scale, right? And that's why Elon Musk is going for this AI thing, because, of course, if you own all the data, like somewhere in, in Twitter, 
then you have a lot of text data to study and you can build a really good AI model, which is where the real good money is going to be in the future, right? You know, you look at the um, success of ChatGPT and now, you know, Google Bard is coming out and, you know, there's a lot of other things. So I think that's where, the, I think honestly, that's, that's going to be a really good space to watch, you know, if, if people are into technology listening at home, like, you know, it's, this is the AI race right now. And really it's going to be who can create the best model based off the, off the sort of um, best data set. Visit Vox404.com and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. I am at EarthVox on Twitter and uh, the EarthVox podcast on Minds. We did our, uh, our, our ad uh, cycle was completed over the uh, weekend. I don't know how enthusiastic I should be about it, but I'm feeling pretty good. So uh, don't miss out on the con- on the content on our social media. You can send us an email, uh, therealearthvox at protonmail.com. And of course, uh, we're the Earthvox uh, podcast on Discord. Jump in and, uh, you know, share in the conversation. Uh, 404, final words. Yep. Thank you very much for having us this week. Um, and uh, what you can do next is listen to the very next episode it's a really good one actually uh we had a great talk about many many things just check it out we're crushing it we'll talk to you soon